Welcome back to another incredible episode of the Love Your Bod Pod. I'm your host. I'm Kara Corinne Sofelli. I'm a certified health coach and breathwork facilitator. And on this podcast, we talk all about how to heal your relationship with food, your body, and beyond. Today, we have a lovely interview with Mary Jakowski. Wow, I'm not doing that right. Jakowski. If I butchered that, Mary, and you're hearing this, I'm so sorry. <laughs> she is known as Mary's Cup of Tea Online. Maybe you know her as Mary's Cup of Tea as well. We recorded this episode earlier this year back in March, and I had thought I'd lost the recording, but earlier this week, I was backing up my files and organizing my hard drive, and I found it. Yay. So that's why it's taken almost the whole year to publish this. I literally thought I didn't save it or I deleted it or something. And then somehow the universe brought it back and I found it. So I'm sharing that just so that you can keep that in mind as Mary is talking about dates for some things that have already passed. So just keep that in mind. But that doesn't take away from the wisdom and the insight that she shares today on the podcast. She is truly so well-spoken, so self-aware, and really a gift to so many. We talk about Mary's eating disorder, slight trigger warning for anyone struggling. We do talk about specifics and behaviors and things like that. So just a heads up uh, before you go any further. We also talk about her experience in fitness culture and competing and why she now thinks that it's not too far off from a cult. We talk about the power of retreats and in-person experiences, which I completely agree with her perspective. As some of you might know, we are less than a month away from the next Food, Body, Soul, The Retreat. It's completely sold out, and every day I am envisioning uh, I'm envisioning the experience that I want the women to have and the work we will be doing to facilitate that life-changing experience. I'm so, so, so excited. In-person experiences are so incredible, and you'll hear Mary and I talk back and forth about that today. We also talk about the gift of self-love, which is her book, but we talk about what self-love is, how to get there using her self-love formula. We talk about empowerment and what it means to truly own yourself and your voice, and we talk about money and the power of investing in yourself. Something Mary and I both agree on is the power of putting skin in the game in the form of money, whether it's payment plans, credit cards, or actual cash you have in the bank, and how that truly impacts how you show up for yourself, the actions you take, and how you value your time in a different way as a result of that financial investment. So stick around to hear Mary share about making one of the biggest investments she's made aside from college and how college is a bit more of a socially acceptable form of investing, but she invested in a mastermind and with a coach. And we talk about, you know, what investing money, uh, money in has done for her and how that's changed things for her. So stick around for that conversation. I think it's a very potent, interesting, powerful one. Before we dive into the episode, I want to briefly talk about Food Body Soul, the Academy. The Academy is under the umbrella of my brand, Food Body Soul, and it's my signature group coaching program. 
It's now four months of life-changing work to help you make peace with food, your body, and yourself. The soul part is really about yourself, but food body self is just nowhere as sexy as food body soul. Let's be real. I'm going to record a podcast all about the program, the new upgrades I've made, and how it's even more powerful than my previous groups. And in that episode, I'll talk about everything that you can expect. So stay tuned for that if you want all of the juicy details. But the next round begins in March of 2022. So about three months from now. I've already been enrolling women into the program and I know it's going to radically change their lives. And if you're feeling it in your heart, if you're feeling it in your soul, you know, you get a little soul pull or you're feeling like that might be the thing for you. Feel free to shoot me a DM on Instagram. I'm at Kara's Kitchen if you want to learn more and snag one of the limited spots. And also stay tuned for that podcast episode, which will be coming out pretty soon with all of the deets. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I'm so grateful to have you here. And without further ado, let's get into the episode with the lovely Mary's cup of tea. So I suppose my poor relationship with my body and it's my body image started when I was about 11. And um, I, I just started getting really self-conscious about my body because I was, well, I'm younger. Um, I was younger than everyone in my grade but I was like the most developed. So I had like boobs and hips and a butt. When I look back at my pictures now, I'm like, I wasn't even that developed, but being in like fifth grade, sixth grade with like C cups um, just gave you like a certain amount of attention. Most of it was unwanted. Um, I mean, not unwanted, but just weird and new and just, yeah, I guess unwanted is the word. Um, And so, yeah, I started getting really like self-conscious about my body and this was at a time when like Tumblr was really popular. Did you, were you on that ever? Yeah. Yeah. I think I had a blog called eggheads for breakfast. Eggheads for breakfast. Oh my gosh. <laughs> on is Tumblr. That, wait, was what kind of blog was it? I think I talked about like science papers and like research papers that I really liked and, and like um, stuff about like the earth and the stars. Oh, you're so interesting and so much more advanced than I was. Um, I had like a, a pro eating disorder blog, not like I didn't create content, but I just reposted, you know, how you can like endlessly scroll. Um, and that's where I really got introduced to this like strange idea that I think, you know, most middle schoolers go through and it is a phase. I hate to say it, but for, for most people, hopefully it is a phase, but unfortunately there does come a point that I've experienced in middle school where like being sad is like cool. Um, and so for me, that just kind of like went next level, um, you know, a combination of being in a certain group of friends and, um, you know, the, the unwanted attention from boys and at the same time kind of wanted and daddy issues on top of that. And just all this mix, um, anyways, all of my like kind of sadness and teen angst was fueled towards my body and my body image. And so I very much started like you know, it started off seemingly innocent where I would just like skip breakfast. Um, and then I started restricting. And I remember this was also when my sister was just born and her grandma. So she was like my old step grandma. She came in from out of town to take care of my sister. And she would just bake all these baked Russian goods that I loved. Cause I was like such a foodie still am. <laughs> um, but especially as a kid, like I had, I was the favorite grandchild because of my appetite. 
Um, and so it was something that was like a big part of my identity was just like eating and grandma's feeding me. But this particular grandma, um, who again, wasn't like my related grandma, she's my sister's grandma. She would like bake for us and then kind of make the little jabs at my body, you know? Um, and I think, again, it's just such a weird part of growing up because you go from like, oh, all these things are cute, like baby fat or having round cheeks or having a big appetite or just to suddenly they're just like not cute. And that line that in between is just, I can imagine pretty scary or I've experienced it in a very weird way. Um, so yeah, I remember my grandma just like feeding me and getting really upset when I wouldn't eat her baked goods. Um, and then at the same time, just kind of like picking on my body or saying I'm eating too much. And um, yeah, beauty culture was very, very big or is very big in, in my culture, which is we're Russian. Um, so like for us, a girl's like primary purpose is to be pretty. And so, yeah, that just kind of started in middle school. And then I came, I got to high school and the same thing continued. Um, but I was actually dancing a lot. So again, all these different things come together and form this piece of the, the eating disorder puzzle, I suppose. And dance was like a lot of pressure. And my dance studio was the second floor of my gym. So I like wandered in there one day after dance and started going to that gym. And that's where I just got really obsessive. Like I would run to the gym. It was like two miles. I would work out. Then I would go dance for four and a half hours. This whole time I'm running on like a cheese stick that I had at lunch. Um, and then I would come home from dance at like eight, 9 PM and just binge. Um, and then I would feel really bad about myself. And then the next day I'm like, okay, I'm not going to binge. And the only way I wouldn't is if I came home from dance and like literally head down, just like went upstairs to my bedroom. Um, and I remember like in the car being like, okay, just walk in and go right up, walk in, go right up to your room. Like, don't stop at the kitchen. Cause I, I thought that I didn't have self-control quote unquote. Um, and so I would just, I just stopped trusting myself around food and I started restricting a lot and it just escalated to a point where I ended up quitting dance, the thing that I love, because I was like, it's getting in the way of my working out. Um, you know, my ballet teacher was like, you got to stop doing quad workouts. Like this is not helping your, your ballet, like getting your leg up in the air kind of thing. And so it felt like it was kind of like one or the other. And I started um, competing because I got really deep into the gym and fitness world. And so I started competing in bikini fitness competitions when I was a senior in high school. <laughs> I remember coming home from we're coming back to school from spring break and I had a competition during spring break and I was like all tanned up because you know they do the spray tans and so suddenly it was like yeah it was like I had this quote-unquote perfect body um I was getting attention like I had some sort of purpose because in high school I never really felt like I belonged I didn't really have a solid group of friends or you know I wasn't really involved in school in general and so I I felt like I was like in this <laughs> cult um, but like they valued me, they appreciated me or they said they did. So anyways, fitness gave me just a lot of identity. And I went into like, when I first joined the gym, I thought like, oh, this is going to help me with my eating problem, which was like the binging, but it ended up making it worse. Um, obviously. I mean, <laughs> I hope we kind of realize that now, but I truly thought that that was the solution. Like if only I could control myself more and if only I could 
you know, be perfect at eating and look perfect, then like, why would I have an eating disorder? Like that would be unnecessary. (laughs) So I truly thought in my heart that that was the solution. And it was really, you know, I always say that fitness was a safe haven for my eating disorder. Um, It was just a place for it to bloom and thrive. And, and yeah, when I was 18, I kind of had this turning point moment. Um, I get into things really fast. Like I'm pretty extreme. I get into things really fast and then I get over them pretty fast, thankfully. Um, But something like my body just, I don't know, the binge eating was just getting uncontrollable. Like I was stealing food from Food City because I couldn't afford to buy any more food because I was binge eating every single night, like anything I could find. Um, And yeah, it was between that and just feeling like sleeping. I remember sleeping for like 17 hours straight and waking up to my mom pounding on my apartment door just because I wasn't picking up the phone or anything and all these things I was like this can't be right and eventually actually the person who stepped in was my coach's wife um and my coach was like a dude he's like eat a fourth cup of rice and move on with your life um you know and he wasn't he's been in the bodybuilding industry for like decades so he was like a lot older and he's like what is wrong with you um And I I don't know what happened, but his like girlfriend or his wife, like sent me a message on Facebook. And I don't know if she oversaw some messages or if she, I don't know, I was was just 18. So I'm I'm really glad that somebody who, honestly, I've never talked to her since, don't know her, but somebody just kind of stepped in and gave me a referral to a naturopathic doctor. I started getting like my thyroid, my hormones tested, like so many vitamin and nutrient deficiencies. And you know, it ended up being like this physical part of the journey. Cause I was like, okay, once I get my hormones in check, then I can go back to fitness and I'll lose all the weight. <laughs> um, but it ended up blooming into so much more. Um, and realizing that a big component of it was mental health and an eating disorder that I've been kind of denying my whole life. Um, and just an overall like dissatisfaction, a permanent dissatisfaction with my body when there was like nothing wrong with it to begin with, you know? So yeah, that's kind of that, that led me to this self-love and healing journey. And here we are like four or five years later. Yeah. It's quite a journey. I definitely want to get into the the self-love journey, but before we do, I wanted to track back to how you had described your fitness community as a cult. Is that language you use now or was that language you used back then? And I think that not everybody might look at the fitness industry and feel like it's a cult, but can you explain why you chose that word? Like, what was your experience? Mm, What a great question. Um, That's definitely language that I use now. Um, Back then it was just like, oh my God, I, I belong here or like, I also think people that are really into fitness, I mean, even it's like gym culture, right? Like this, I don't know. I think we all know what we're talking about. Just the stuff you see on social media, fitness people getting into like the gym and, and fitness, and then eventually competing. It gives you this like very, I want to explain this in a gentle way that is not going to ruffle some ruffle feathers. I remember thinking that I was better than everyone when I was very into fitness. And I mean, to a point where I was so judgmental. Um, 
I would say things like, oh, they just don't work hard enough or, you know, if I can do it, anyone can. Um, and this, it's very like ego driven, which comes from being image driven. It's a natural kind of transition into that. Um, and everybody, not everybody, but everybody I experienced in gym culture, it's just a very narcissistic, egoic place. Like I'm going to say it like it is. There is nothing natural about lifting weights in front of a mirror and then in between sets, practicing your posing routine and showing your, you know what I mean? Like there's nothing, nothing about that type of lifestyle is moving because you love your body and exercising um, because, you know, getting your heart rate up is healthy and the CDC recommends it. Like, even if you want to phrase it like that, do you know what I mean? Like there's nothing natural or, or how do I say it? Like supportive in there. There's no, no spiritual or emotional growth available in that kind of environment. And again, I know this like makes some people really upset because some people get really into weightlifting and they're like, oh, I'm just looking at my form. No, you're not, you're body checking. That's generally the case. If you really wanna work on your form, you can work on it without the mirror. That's why I really like, um, you know, places, yoga studios, even dance studios that don't have a mirror. Um, and even right now, as I'm talking to you, Kara, I turn off the self view on Zoom because I'm like, there's nothing natural about me talking to you and staring at myself the whole time. <laughs> Um, you know, so, so yeah, like I remember the, the, when I realized that fitness was not, I don't know how to explain it, but it was just, I'm feeling at a loss for words today, but I remember one time I, this guy who was a lot older than me, like probably in his fifties or sixties. And I was like 14 comes up to hit on me, then hits on my mom. And then, um, starts kind of like getting close to me while I'm at the gym under the disguise of like, oh, I'm just helping you out because I'm in the industry and I can make you a top competitor and this and that, and just very much, you know, doing that. And looking back now, I'm like, how could I have been so naive? But I was, I mean, when somebody gives you that kind of attention and says that they believe in you and says that you're gorgeous and you have so much potential for being this fitness competitor, which you've always dreamed of. I mean, like any 14 year old would fall for that. And I remember, um, having a really rough time with my bulimia and binge eating and opening up to him about like, Hey, I don't know if I should compete. Cause I, I don't have self-control. Like sometimes I, I'm going to put a trigger warning on this for bulimic tendencies, but I, I told him, I was like, sometimes I binge eat and then like throw it back up because I feel so bad. <laughs> and this guy goes, oh, honey, it's fine. Like we all do it, but here's, here's a trick for you. You should binge on ice cream because it doesn't burn your throat coming back up. And so in that moment, it was like, it was a really fucked up moment and I'm 14. Right. But in that moment, it's this weird mix of like, well, this person who's in this industry, um, who clearly knows his way around, who has gotten like really close to me, who I, I guess I kind of trust on some weird level gave me this advice, if you can call it that, kind of normalized experience for me. And so it was this combination of like, oh, this really shameful thing is normal and something that everybody does and kind of gave me like this permission, I guess, that, oh, I'm not the only crazy one kind of thing. But at the same time, I, of course, I felt it in my heart that like, this can't be right, you know? So that's what I mean when I say fitness is like a safe haven for my eating disorder. 
And that's what I mean when I say it's just like really culty because like the deeper you go, the harder it is to get out. And that is the definition of a cult. Long-winded answer to your question. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like in a lot of ways, it's, it's just an inherently harmful environment. You know, I, I don't want to say that like lifting weights and working out is this harmful thing, but it sounds like when you get into fitness culture and I just am like shocked about this guy, this man who essentially like reinforced a disordered eating disorder behavior, but also what's really, it's really shocking to hear him essentially give you like a tip for it. That's just mind boggling to me to think like, okay, so is this like something gym bros talk about? Like it, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But what I can say is that there was a lot of stuff that was like really, really wrong and surprising and illegal also. <laughs> Lots of illegal stuff. Um, the way I describe fitness culture is literally like sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Um, and I, I think anybody who's gotten really deep into the gym will, will affirm this. Like you kind of start noticing that everybody's kind of sleeping with each other and like cheating on their partners doing it. And everybody has some like rumors gossip like it's very much like I don't know adult high school but like <laughs> with a bunch of adult level un like unhealthy kind of stuff so yeah and I was in that when I was 14 so I yeah I just feel really bad for my younger self that I got so deep because there and I used to joke I was like I wish I could be or at the time I would think I wish I could be one of those girls that just like grabbed a magazine and like ran on the treadmill and like left <laughs> you know but for some reason it wasn't like that for me um you know I just start you start talking to people you start getting to know people and one thing leads to another and something that was kind of innocent I mean my my eating disorder could have been like oh, this was maybe a phase in middle school or high school. And then I got to college and I realized that I'm fine as I am and whatever. But because of like fitness, it just, it just went like really, really extreme, really, really fast in a way that was at the same time, very socially acceptable. Very socially acceptable and like applauded and praised, you yeah. know, like it's, it's like praised, I think. Yeah. Oh, and the other like aspect of this is fitness culture started getting really big on social media at this exact point in time. This is when Instagram like first started becoming not a photo sharing app, but actually like a social media app. And the people who were the biggest on social media were fitness influencers. Um, and it was really easy to get big on social media as a fitness person. Like it was, yeah. Yeah, I could see that. So what was the pivot? So let's, let's shift into talking about the self-love journey. So what was that process like? Well, when, when I had that breaking point, I think a lot of people's turning points are actually not as dramatic in the moment. Do you know what I mean? A lot of people are like, oh, I had this near-death experience or like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, something. But for me, most of my breaking points have always been in the form of a conversation. Like somebody said something to me that really landed. Um, and those would be like mini turning points. And then they would all kind of come together for a big one. So one of those like mini turning point conversations was with my, my naturopath. 
um, who I'm still really close to today. And she was like, I remember it was summer after my freshman year of college. So I had just competed a bunch. And this was, you know, when that my coach's wife stepped in and I started seeing her and I, I just finished my, yeah, my freshman year of college. I don't think I had a job, but I was really, I was struggling financially, but like a student, you know, and I would sit in her office and I'd be like, Dr. Ashley, I just don't know why I keep binge eating. Like, I don't understand my life is good. I mean, I don't really have much to complain about. Um, and it just doesn't make sense. I'm, I'm eating six meals a day and, um, you know, I'm not doing anything that anybody else isn't, you know, and she just kept repeating. She's like, honey, you're so stressed. You're so stressed. Um, you just got to cut yourself some slack. You're so stressed. And I kind of lost it on her. I'm like, what could I possibly be fucking stressed about? Like, I'm not in school. I don't have a job. I'm 18 years old. Like, what could I be that stressed about that? I eat myself into a coma every single night. And she's like, worrying about what other people think about you all the time is really fucking stressful. And that really landed with me because again, like high school, I never felt like I really belonged, but I think I, I was very good at putting on this like intimidating, like, I don't give a fuck kind of phase. And it just kind of hit me that it was such a facade that I really, really cared about what other people think thought about me. Um, and somebody phrasing it like that, that that was the intense amount of stress that I was under is that, you know, everything was just, um, oh, like the shame that would pile on, on top of it, that, you know, being so afraid that people would find out that I binge ate or saw that I gained weight or constantly living in fear that somebody thought something of me, <laughs> whatever it may be. Um, and that was very much like underneath a lot of my, my disordered eating. Um, so that was a big moment for me. And then I realized that you mentioned environment. Um, I, I saw a quote on Instagram that it was like, you can't heal in the same environment you got sick. And so I'm like, okay, I need to like move. <laughs> um, and I took that very literally. Now, looking back now, what I recommend to, you know, a lot of my students is like, you don't have to move, <laughs> but like switch up your friends, like go somewhere else. And I was very much like in Scottsdale. You lived in Phoenix, right? You grew up here. Um, grew up in yeah. Scottsdale. <laughs> what yeah. was Scottsdale like for you? Like a wannabe Beverly Hills, everything you see on the OC, like wannabe, uh, even worse. <laughs> That's exactly how I describe it. Okay. Yeah. Like LA is like, a lot more chill and cool and laid back and like, yeah. 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 It's like we get the people that didn't quite belong in LA and they like <laughs> created their own thing. Yeah. It's just very image focused again, like going back to that image driven society. Like I felt like Scottsdale was the epitome of that. And I'm like, I'm not going to get better here. Like I walk into the gym and, and people are literally like, oh my God, what happened to you? I mean, people in like fitness culture are kind of brutal. Um, or like, yeah, I just, I just knew that I needed to get away. And so I just started kind of looking into things and I ended up transferring schools and moving to Calgary, Canada out of all places. Um, so that was huge for me. Um, and I started studying there and as romantic as it sounds, it's true. Like I started spending a lot of time in the mountains and I was so happy to be in a place where I can be in a sweatshirt all year if I wanted to. Um, 
because it just, it just let me take the focus away from my body and take that time to really heal. Um, and the fresh air and just, you know, immersing myself in my study. It's like, it was the best thing possible for me. Um, so I ended up, yeah, I ended up living in Calgary for two years and then coming back to Phoenix. And then I had to like relearn how to be in this place that I didn't like. And Kara, I will say like, as of maybe six months ago, I'm just starting to like really like it again. Yeah. And part of that's because I'm in like a really good relationship and I started spending more time in Phoenix instead of Scottsdale and <laughs> really exploring and just finding my, my friends. And I, yeah, I think that the biggest thing for people is like, if you're trying to switch up your environment, like the first thing to look at is the people, like the people you're around, you're not going to be able to recover from disordered eating. If what you hear from your best friend is all about diets and weight loss, you know, that's impossible. So yeah, that was, it's quite a journey. It's quite a journey for sure. And I'm also happy to hear that you're enjoying Phoenix. I think there are lots of great things about Arizona for sure. Yeah. Okay. So what does self-love mean to you? How would you define it? Hmm. It's so hard to answer because it's different for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, I have, I recently wrote about this in my book because it started off as like, I just have this idea and I presented it to some of the students in my programs and they were like, oh my God, this literally changed my life. The way I like to think about self-love is kind of having like these three components um, and they all live symbiotically with one another. Um, and that is like self-compassion, self-esteem and self-worth. So self-compassion is what it is, doing nice things for yourself for lack of better words. Um, self-worth is just feeling enough, um, just feeling like you're inherently okay, doing great as a human, even when you're not performing or producing or working out or making money and just, just feeling like super content with yourself. Um, and then self-esteem is a little bit different than self-worth, although people get it confused. Self-esteem is more like confidence, I suppose. And confidence is very situational. So it's about like your belief and your capabilities. So confidence isn't so much like I'm the best at this, but I can get, I can be the best at it if I really try. Right. Um, and yeah, the, the thing about self-esteem and confidence is that it's really important to kind of make those distinctions that like, Oh, maybe I feel insecure in my body, but I feel really confident at work in a meeting. And I think, like having these definitions as unsexy as they are, (laughs) they really help you. um, They really help you know that, well, one, these are all different things. And that just because you are having a bad body image day doesn't mean you're failing at life. Because I know exactly how that is, especially when, when I was trying to heal, you know, I was gaining weight so rapidly and hated my body, but I, I let that trickle into all areas of my life. Like I would wake up and I would hate myself and I, I wouldn't get myself ready. I would do badly at school because I felt so insecure with my appearance and I wouldn't talk to people. That was such a big one for me. Um, I would kind of like literally wear a hat and hope that people don't see me just because I felt insecure in my body, which like literally nobody else notices <laughs> that nobody's like, oh, she's having a bad body image day. I'm not going to talk to her. Right. Um, so anyways, I always say like, don't let your body image ruin your life experience. 
And so having these like parts of the, what I call the self-love formula um, to me is making self-love, like not the cliche of bubble baths and pedicures and whatever, but making it just really doable um, and something that's gonna really work for you and, and serve you. Um, it makes it a, a lot more individualistic. And also a lot of people I think go on this self-love journey and they see these bloggers who <laughs> have really great content. I look at them all the time and I'm like, oh my God, do I not love myself? Because I don't know, my outfit doesn't look this bomb. Um, and I think we kind of twist self-love as another thing that we're failing at. And that's what I heard from a lot of my students that they were just in such a low place that I would infiltrate every area of their life and just affect their overall just self-worth and how they showed up um, in the world. And so this, this self-love formula and looking at self-love in this way of being able to separate these things, um, it just really helped me, helped so many people. So yeah, in essence, I think self-love, I could have answered this in one sentence. <laughs> it's just having compassion for yourself, um, feeling enough and feeling worthy. And what was the last part? Oh, and having the confidence to try new things, to get better at things and have overall self-esteem when it comes to how or what you decide to do in this life. I love that. Yeah. Breaking it down. I could see that being, uh, it just makes it a little more practical, you know, cause I do, I do kind of think that self-love can be like this really big, like esoteric, like nondescript sort of idea. Um, so I could see how breaking it down like that would be helpful. What has you decide to, I feel like self-love is such a big part of your brand. It's, it's a really big part of your message. You have your self-love retreats. Um, why do you feel like it's so important to fully immerse yourself in a self-love mindset and experiences in order to gain a lasting transformation? And regardless of what that transformation is, even though this is primarily about food and body stuff, but just in general, like, why is it such a big part of your brand? Yeah, I've always been really into immersive training, just when it comes to like personal growth and language learning and just anything, just like really stepping into it. And it, it could be a mindset, just like you mentioned in the question. Um, but I, I really like to visualize like stepping into this person that you want to be, um, both literally and figuratively. And so when I created retreats, um, there's just something next level about being surrounded by women who are on the same journey, who are uplifting one another. Um, when you're in that for even just three days, I've done retreats as short as, th as short as three days and as long as eight days, the effects are so much more long lasting. I think it's because you don't have, you kind of don't have another option. And I really believe in <laughs> creating necessity for yourself. So a lot of people have necessity, right? Um, they're like, I, I, I really want to learn how to make peace with my body and learn to love myself because I'm about to have a child. And if I have a daughter, I want to still that in her, right? So a lot of people have that necessity or it kind of develops from something, some sort of event, but you can also create that necessity for yourself. And the simplest way to do that is to put yourself in that environment um, in the same way that I put myself in fitness culture. <laughs> Um, you can also do it more positively and, and make it so that you're kind of living and breathing it until it becomes a part of your, like, it just becomes 
subliminal and just like a visceral experience. Also with retreats, especially community and connection have always been like two of my biggest core values, uh, both personally and professionally. And yeah, again, it just, it just allows people to um, see the possibility and like who they really are when you're in the middle of a group of a bunch of people who see that possibility for you. Right. Um, so it's one thing to read a book. I love my book. <laughs> Highly recommend you get my book, but it's another thing when you're, when it's like in person and it's this whole experience. So hopefully after this uh, pan ditty, it's pandemonium. <laughs> um, I say everything but the word because I'm so sick of hearing about it. Um, <laughs> hopefully after the Rona, we can all experience that again. Yeah, I call it the Rona too. Yeah, I really loved how you explained that. Um, I hosted a, a retreat in January 2020 and haven't had one since because of the Rona. And I completely, I loved the way that you articulated the in the the difference about being in a fully immersive experience where like your body is there, like your being is there and you're in the energy of other people. And I really like the analogy of like a rising tide raises all ships. So like that Mm. community aspect that you were talking about, uh, I just don't think anything will ever erase in person. You know, like, I don't, I don't know if, and maybe in a hundred years and technology evolves, I don't know. But at this point in time, I feel like nothing can replace in-person experiences and something is just different. You know, when you're able to, you had said like, it's more subliminal or more submersive. I think it's, it's like you become more embodied in like the curriculum and what you're learning and. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You're like fully there and you, you really don't have another option. When everybody else is there, like, yeah, like we rise by lifting others. We really do. And it's like, it's like learning anything. I mean, if you're in France, you don't know an ounce of French. If you're there for a month, like your bitch ass is going to start speaking French fluently (laughs) because you have to. And it's just a little bit of tough love too, but it's more of a beautiful experience where you, you really want to be there. Um, and that's the other powerful thing about retreats is that you're surrounded by people who really, really, really want this. So there's not going to be anybody that's unintentional or trying to drag you back down like the crabs in a bucket analogy. Have you heard of that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah. Whereas when you're kind of like in your, in your environment, your old environment, it's very easy to get sucked back. Um, I mean, it sucks, but we have to like really be very intentional about the environment we create for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I always use the phrase like create an environment conducive to recovery. It's like really hard to recover and then keep reading like tabloid magazines or keep following fitness influencers online. Like you gotta, you know, change your environment. Exactly what you were saying before, you know, it's, it's hard to heal in the same environment that got you sick. Exactly. Where did you host your retreat by the way? um at this house up in the Hollywood Hills so here in LA I'm in LA so where where are yours um I did Bali I did Sedona here near me Mm -hmm. um I did do San Diego and then you know what retreat we're literally at the airport about to leave for before the panditti um we were going to Tanzania that was one I was really looking forward to yeah and my the next one will be in Costa Rica, hopefully in July, if all goes well. Um, but yeah, I really, I really like 
water and tropical kind of ocean jungle type of locations. So those are my favorite. Yeah, that's amazing. That's going to be fabulous. Like I haven't been to Costa Rica, but I can imagine it <laughs> being, being amazing. So oh, I want to travel so bad. It makes me like emotional. <laughs> mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. And I like, I'm such a a co-signer on the retreats, just someone who's gone to so many as a participant. I, and I've gotten a chef at a lot of retreats too. And, um, they're just amazing. Like if you can financially make it work with work and time off and all that, I'm like, it's definitely worth the investment. I feel like it's such a different experience. Yeah, no, it really is. I actually signed myself up for a retreat last year. Didn't get to go, but yeah, I was so excited for it to be on the other end. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So tell us about your book. Um, My book. Well, hopefully the gift of self-love, my book will be like a retreat in a book. Um, I did take a lot of exercises that I do at workshops at retreats and put them in a very interactive workbook. So it's not just, you know, your typical self-help nonfiction book. Um, It's very much experiential. Like I like to do a lot of, a lot of the things I do. Um, so in it, there's three parts. Um, the three parts are loving yourself, loving your body and kind of bringing it all together. Because for me, a lot of, a lot of my self-love journey started with body image. Um, and so, yeah, the first part is very much looking inward. The second part is dealing with your relationship with food and your body. And then the third part is kind of more of how do you want to show up out in the world with the new tools that you've you've learned, like how do you actually embody them and, and bring them out um, in day-to-day life. So yeah, I'm really, really excited about it. I'm really proud of it. <laughs> I won't lie. It's been something I've been working on for about a year and a half now, and we're coming really close to the publication date at the time of this recording. Um, it's publishing March 23rd, 2021, and I, I hope everybody can get it. Yeah, it sounds amazing. I can't wait to check it out. It sounds really awesome. And like a express like a soul expression of you yeah yeah hopefully it really feels like I'm I'm right there with them you know if you're sitting on the couch and I'm working through it like I want watch some of my stories maybe or like some of my videos on Instagram so you can hear my voice in your head as you're reading the book Mm, that's a good little tip I love that yeah Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about empowerment you know and self-expression I Something I really admire about you is your, at least how it occurs to me on the other side, is this very like unfiltered self-expression and such a level of owning yourself and owning what you believe and owning what you want to put out. It really occurs to me on the receiving end that there's fear doesn't get in your way. Now, I don't want to make the assumption that you don't have fear. You know, so I actually, I want to, I want to talk about empowerment, but I also want to talk about like the behind the scenes of like, what has it taken for you to show up so powerfully online? What has it taken? What have you had to set aside or overcome or work through so that you can really be this person that you are? Cause you're such a lighthouse, I think for so many people. So what, what have you had to overcome? Cause you make it look damn easy, but I'm sure it wasn't easy. Oh my gosh. What? That was like literally the best compliment I've ever received. Um, Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, very timely for some very personal reasons, but just thank you, firstly. Um, I think for me, well, I've had this weird 
relationship with my voice and using my voice. Um, and unfortunately, I think a lot of people can relate to this, but I was very much the person who had difficulty saying no. Um, and yeah, just kind of getting myself in really sticky situations that I later on regretted. And it would be everything from like sex to drinking to just little projects or <laughs> hang out with friends and just, yeah, feeling like shit afterwards. And so I had quite a journey of like learning to actually use my voice both, both physically and metaphorically. Um, so that was a big part. And I, I actually, it's like a little bit spiritual for me, but I actually sometimes feel like my throat closing up when I don't want to do something. And I very much think that if we let the body lead and the mind learn, we can, I mean, we're part of the minds, we can get so much from that. Um, so I really started listening to my body in more ways than just hunger and fullness. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, like you, you, the word you used was embodiment, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much that um, without really knowing that that's what I was doing. But then the other aspect of it is something that I've lived by. And I think this works for me, maybe because I'm an Enneagram too. Is that the helper? I'm like a two and a three, like kind of a, a 50-50 split. Um, but I think that's the helper. Um, and so, and this is why I say like, when you ask me about what a self-love mean to me, um, this is what I say that self-love is very individualistic. So I think most people are like, self-love is putting yourself first. Well, for me, that's not the case. That doesn't mean I don't take care of myself. But one thing that I live by is when in doubt, focus out. So when I'm struggling with something, I very much have to go outside of myself, not like seeking for validation, but more like trying to uplift others. The very last two lines of my book are, um, you know, when we help others, we help ourselves. And that's how we spread the gift of self-love, which is the title of my book. Um, and so that that's something that I've lived by. And so for me, especially at the start, now it's a lot more natural and it does get easier. But at the start, it would really be like, okay, what is something I'm struggling with that I don't want to share? And then I share that. And I just kept doing that over and over and over again. Um, and I do that with everything now. Like today I was staining wood because um, my boyfriend and I are building a van. And so the countertops are a little too light and I'm trying to make them this dark cherry wood. And I'm thinking like, this has nothing to do with my brand. I'm sweaty. I'm literally in my pajamas. It's 80 degrees in Arizona already. Um, and I don't really want to share it. And then I'm like, no, like maybe me staining wood is going to be empowering for somebody else to see because I've never stained wood in my life. I've never done anything like manual labor kind of, but I wanted to prove to myself that I could and that I could do it all on my own. And so I shared that experience of like, I don't need my boyfriend to stain the wood in the stand. Like, and so, yeah, um, usually the things that are a little bit like nerve wracking for me to share are just the ones that ignite the best conversations and just create such great, community around them and become so empowering, not just to the people I'm talking to, because I, I never come from a mindset of like, let me tell you, <laughs> let me teach you or preach to you. Um, it's always just like, hey, this is let's. I literally said, let's hope I don't fuck this up. Um, and then it ends up, I don't know, I didn't completely fuck it up. I did get stain all over my hands and spent more time scrubbing that off than I did staining the wood. But um, 
I think that's part of empowerment is, is making sure that you're kind of bringing everybody along with you. Um, and that's something that's worked for me. And I know I, like I'm, I'm a little bit more extroverted and like I said, I'm an Enneagram too. And, um, you know, my human design is a projector. So I'm very much like outward kind of thing. And maybe that won't work for everyone, but I do think that getting outside of yourself and zooming out and getting more into your body, out of your head, um, looking at things a little bit differently and a little less, I don't know. I think we all get very, uh, what is that word? Like we start ruminating on things, right? We start overthinking them. And that's such a big sign of like, okay, I physically picture myself zooming out. I even do like a meditation that's like, picture yourself a tiny little human and then zoom out and see like the whole earth and the world and the galaxies and that kind of thing. So yeah, a little esoteric, but <laughs> I love it. I know we're getting this like woo side of you right now, which I'm, I'm totally driving. I'm totally down with it. Nobody's and, ever gotten a woo side of me. It's cool. <laughs> ah, what is there? Is there any, this is the next question on the, on the cuff, not planned, but is there any part of you that intentionally maybe keeps your woo to yourself? Mm -hmm. Maybe. Um, I share a little bit more of it on the podcast. Well, I think, how do I explain this? I used to be very into the woo. And then, um, you know, there's a balance, right? So, mm -hmm. and then I found myself like trying to look for answers to random things <laughs> instead of kind of like living and being. And 2019, I believe I did one year, no personal growth. <laughs> People are like, what's up with that? But what I mean is like, I didn't take any courses, any new courses. I didn't do, I barely listened to podcast episodes. I didn't do any self-help books. Um, I just, I didn't participate in that kind of stuff. Cause again, I think it can get very culty, right? Um, and so now I'm just trying to reintroduce myself. So I think people haven't seen the, or yeah, people haven't seen the woo as much because I'm just starting to find this mix of like, okay, here's what I'm really into and here's what works for me and what interests me. Um, and yeah, not trying to get like, do you know what I mean? Cause I can, from my history, you can see, I can get very obsessive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I think like I've just talked about it with my girlfriends. Uh, we call it like the self-help hamster wheel and you can mm -hmm. kind of get stuck on it sometimes. And if you're continuing, like I'm all for self-help, I'm all for personal development. I mean, I'm a coach. I've been doing this for years. So like, obviously I believe in it. And also sometimes if you're always like looking for help and looking for the next thing, you're operating from the place of like, you're wrong, you're not whole, you're lacking, something's broken, something needs fixed. Yeah. Like there's something you don't know. And so I think there's this, like, I want to, I don't want to say tightrope because it's not really a tightrope, but there's like a, a spectrum, you know? And it's like, you, it's like anything you get too far to one side and. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 100%. Um, that's where I'm at too. Like, yeah, a lot of these things that are inherently good, they can be like a little bit of you avoiding yourself there. Mm -hmm. Yes, like that's avoiding your true self. Yeah. Yeah, that was very wise. I love the way you said that. Like you're avoiding yourself. You're just looking outside for the answer. Mm. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. How, like, what are you into? Like woo, woo stuff. Do you talk about it on the podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I talk about it on the podcast. Yeah. Um, I didn't at first, when I first got into coaching, I wasn't, I was new to it. So it wasn't really like a part of my brand. And then like at my retreat, I like let the woo hang out. And half of the women at my retreat were like, what is this? 
what is Palo Santo? What's a goddess card? And so I was like, oh, wow, I really don't show this because half of the women had never heard of it. So they weren't expecting it at when they came and like, so that was like a very eye-opening experience, but I think I'm kind of uh, similar to you where like, I'm not like, I'm not knee deep in it. I'm not like up to my neck in all of it, but I have found elements that really speak to me and really resonate with me. I don't know anything about my Enneagram, but I'm a projector. And I've found that there are elements to it that are so comforting and I've met incredible people. So that has probably been the biggest thing that has drawn me in is the people that I've met through that space and the retreats that I've gone to have always like leaned towards the woo, the new age spirituality side. And so that's also probably part of the reason why I'm, I like it is because it's just enriched my life in so many ways, you know? Yeah, for sure. It's, it's very much all encompassing, right? Like when you go to a kind of a new age retreat or something, it's not like you're just talking about that one thing. You're kind of, there's a lot that goes into it and there's a lot of really cool people. Totally agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you see yourself sharing more of it online? Um, I do. Um, I do. I, I don't like intentionally hide it. I think for me, it's more that like, well, yeah, I feel like maybe I don't have enough to say about it to actually share it. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I, the extent of which I share is I, I always talk about universe with a capital U. Um, but yeah, I just, uh, here's my other thing with it. This is me getting a little opinionated, but I do feel like a lot of people who do share about it, I'm very big on specificity. Um, And so I think that I try to make sure that shows up in my writing and the way that I talk. So like when you asked me about, about my journey, I told you about my grandma who would bake (laughs) piroshki and then make fun of me. And I specifically told you about my grandma because um, maybe somebody else's disordered eating does not start that way. But first of all, we all know what it's like, hopefully a lot of us know what it's like to have a grandma that loves to feed us. And maybe you're thinking about another family member or another contradictory experience or the teen angst or puberty or like, right. And so, but I, instead of talking about that, I would rather illustrate that with one very specific story. Um, and so for me, when it comes to like the, the spiritual stuff, I feel like once I get a little too out there, um, the conversations just become a lot more fluffy and I don't enjoy that as much. Um, It's just a personal preference. A lot of people like speak in big analogies and big metaphors. And I've had lots of guests that talk that way and I bring them in intentionally because I feel like I I don't do that. Um, Whereas my my brain, I'm definitely like left-brained. My brain is very analytical and I have a self-love formula. Like I make everything into a math equation. Um, And so, yeah, it's just kind of like a stylistic, artistic kind of um, approach too. But if I could find a way to talk about it, that, you know, with sharing stories or something like that, then yeah, I'm like, so here for that. Um, But I guess I just haven't found that way yet. Hmm. Yeah. And like you had said, like, it might just not be like, you're not intentionally hiding it. It's just more of like a personal thing that you're doing for yourself that allows you to then share what it is that you feel more inspired to share. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with not sharing it, you know, or yeah. And like, I get it not being intentionally something you don't share, you know? Yeah, for sure. But it's such a cool aspect of, of all of us. I think we all have this, this part of us. Yeah. And I wanted to sort of just like 
go back and highlight what you had said about when in doubt, look out. Was that the quote? Focus out when in doubt. When in doubt, focus out. Uh, I've said this quote many times on the podcast. It's I'm quoting Brandilyn Tebow, but she says, um, we don't need to solve our problems. We only need to find problems bigger than ourselves. The antidote to self-consciousness is not self-improvement, but other consciousness. And so mm-hmm. essentially what she's saying is self-consciousness is just when like your consciousness is on you, but when you have other consciousness and you put it out and you find a bigger problem or other people to contribute to, that's when you your self-esteem and confidence expands. See, that, that's some very specific woo that I can vibe with. Okay. That I love, 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 love so much. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's chat a little bit about recovery, kind of shifting gears here. We're like tracking back to the beginning, who knows? Um, Sometimes people feel as though they're one foot in, one foot out of recovery. Maybe they're not fully committed just yet. Maybe they're afraid of weight gain or afraid that they can't get better or or they're one of the people that intuitive eating won't work for or whatever. What would you say to somebody in a position like that? Yeah, I've definitely been there um, until I wasn't. Do you know what I mean? It's one of those things like you're in it until you're not. Um, And I call it pseudo recovery. A lot of people call it quasi recovery. Like you're in the middle ground. I think both are cool. Um, It is a, I feel like it's a natural progression. Would you say it is? Yeah. Yeah. When I think about it, like if I were to think back, because my recovery was like 10 years ago now or something like that. Um, I do. I loved what you were saying is like, you're just there till you're not, Mm -hmm. Yeah. you know, and like, go ahead. Well, I think that's the part where it really tests you because it's one thing to have thoughts. It's another thing to act on those thoughts, right? And so I think in quasi-recovery, you're having a fuckload of thoughts. (laughs) Like you're like, oh my God, I'm not recovered because I'm thinking all these things that I shouldn't be. I'm still thinking about weight loss. I'm still thinking about dieting. I'm still thinking about how bad I am for eating this cookie. But at first you're like, okay, like I'm I'm just not going to act like on it. And hopefully, you know, you have some support from like a coach or you're very like self-motivated. And so you have some way to kind of keep yourself accountable to that of like, I, you know, I remember telling myself like, no matter what, I'm not going to throw out my food. That was like my thing. And no matter what, I will not do fasted cardio. There's certain like big things that I told myself I wouldn't do like, or I don't know what that phrase is no matter what, I guess that's the only phrase. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and those are the things that kept me going. Um, whereas if I would have acted on those, then I can't say that I was actually committed to recovery, if that makes sense. And so, I, yeah, I think it's, it's very, I don't know, it's a very difficult to say. It's very different for other people, but a lot of people do get, and, and here's where I think we need to use a little like self-awareness is to be like, am I in this for too long because I'm really scared to take the next step? Um, or is it just been like, a lot of people are like, it's been so long. And I'm like, girl, it's been two months. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, so you really have to like get really honest with yourself. And for me, when I was 19, I was like, Oh my God, I've been doing this forever. I gained so much weight, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I literally started this when I was 18 and a half. Like it's been six months and I've been dieting for 10 years. Like, you know, and so, and I remember I kept telling myself, like, again, my brain is very analytical. So I need some comfort of numbers, um, not counting calories necessarily, but, you know, I needed for me to be patient. I need some time span. 
And a lot of people think the time span is going to be one year. And so they like hold on to one year for some reason, I think is, is the common number. But what I kept trying to tell myself instead of that is I was like, I started dieting when I was 10, 11. So it's been a solid eight years. So I'm going to give myself eight years to recover. And I think if you can look at it that way, um, again, if your brain needs some sort of a, you know, thing, it, it's going to happen a lot faster, I would say. Um, but yeah, just using a little bit of self-awareness, being realistic with yourself, being really honest with yourself too. Like, am I acting on these thoughts? And if you are, maybe you need some more support um, from yourself or hopefully from a professional. Um, and, and yeah, and just also giving yourself credit when it's due on the things you're no longer acting on. You know, like the fact that you eat breakfast every morning. <laughs> Mm -hmm. even though maybe some days you don't you feel bad doing so but um, making certain commitments to yourself and really following through on those I mean those are huge wins mm -hmm. yeah and I think it's often to I think it's common to think about recovery and the steps to recover before you take action so like also just similar to what you were saying about having the thoughts of of you know fear around the cookie for example, but still giving, but still eating it. And I think it like thinking about recovery and the steps to recover is definitely different from taking actions. And I do think similar to you, I made these like declarations to myself. So yours was like, I'm not going to throw up no matter what, I'm not going to do fasted cardio, no matter what. Like I had these declarations of like, I'm just going to do whatever I can to like get better. And it wasn't until I made that like very specific declaration that like anything really started to shift because before I was just kind of like wanting recovery, but not really taking actions towards it. Um, and then to kind of track back to the last thing you said, I think celebrating the little wins along the way is so necessary. It's so important to acknowledge the progress that you've made so that you, you know, you feel good about keep moving forward. Cause like recovery is hard. Yeah, it is. It is. And yeah, making and keeping those promises to yourself and yeah, making sure that you do acknowledge yourself along the way. Cause it is, it really is. It's again, it's one of those things that it's like, it's hard until it's not. And that not point is going to be different for everyone, but there will be a time where one morning you're going to wake up and food and checking your body in the mirror is not going to be the first thing on your mind. And you might not even notice it, but yeah. But even now, like, as I'm saying that, I'm like, wow, like, I don't, I don't remember the last time food was a problem or my body was a problem or that I cried in the changing room. And that's like really big. That's really big for me, but I didn't even notice it until I, you know, until we just started talking about it because it's, it's there until it's not. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I really love that. Um, so I think something that you've, you've talked about before is, uh, investing in ourselves, investing in help. I had listened to your episode with, um, Melissa Griffith and you had talked about making the investment into her mastermind. And why do you think it's important to invest in ourselves? And, and maybe we add a caveat here of just not everybody has the financial resources. Um, so what other ways could somebody invest in themselves if it's not just investing in, uh, something that requires a lot of financial resources, but in yeah. general, investing. 
No, in general, investing aside from money, there's time, energy, and attention. Um, just the, the, and the only difference between time, energy, and attention and money is that money is a renewable resource, whereas, you know, we kind of have limited time on this planet, whereas there's lots of money out there. And, you know, hopefully um, most of us are in positions to make it back. Although I do acknowledge that there's a lot of systems in place for a lot of people where they're not in positions to make it back as quickly. Um, but I think investing in yourself for me, talk, talk about woo, but it is a very energetic experience. Um, and this is coming from somebody, I, my mom was a single mom with two kids. Um, we came into America as Jewish refugees. So we really, really struggled. Um, it wasn't until I, <laughs> I started doing therapy that I realized how much we struggled. But at the same time, we always had food on the table and everything. So I, I have a lot of money wounds and a lot of fears around like, oh my God, if I, if I do something for myself, then I'm, I'm going to regret it or I'll never be able to make it back or I'm going to blow off everything I saved or worked hard for. Um, and then I, as I started undoing those, I realized that for me, um, money was something that kind of replaced my eating disorder because it was another obsession with numbers. Um, and like, yeah, I was always really, I told you, this is just an analytical brain. It's like math, like my degrees in economics, my grades, like calories, weight, minutes, like numbers, money, everything like just kind of gets to me and really sticks with me. Um, but for me, when I, when I invest in myself, there's this certain part, like this rebellious nature of me kicks in where I just really, really love proving my old belief systems and my old wounds wrong. Like I love that shit. I live for that shit. Um, and so when I, like, for example, when I invested in Melissa Griffin's mastermind, it was my first big investment since like college. And I think college to me doesn't really count because obviously I still have those student loans, but they're kind of just chilling there. Like for some reason, I don't feel that like hit in my bank account with the student loans, you know? Um, and again, college is also a more socially acceptable investment. But when you invest in something that is maybe not something everybody's telling you to invest in, but it's something that you just in your heart, you really, really want, um, you know, like a retreat or like a certain course, or even if it's something materialistic, but you're, you're just set on it. There's something like so exhilarating about putting yourself in a position where not like not only have you proved your own old belief systems wrong, but now you're kind of, again, you're creating that necessity for yourself where you're making the most of it, right? Like if you get yourself a new Tesla, you're like, wow, now I get to be a person who drives a Tesla. Not saying that <laughs> everybody who drives a Tesla is that great, but you, you kind of like, again, that embodiment, like your mindset is maybe a little bit different if that's the thing for you. Everybody has their own thing. If it's a purse, it's a purse. Like for my friend, it's a dog, like Frenchies, <laughs> like some people love their dogs. Um, but for me, it's always been like education and travel, right? Um, and so when I went to Bali, like my first trip to Bali, it was on credit. It was after a horrible breakup. It was, um, it was when I was really, yeah, just in a really difficult place in so many areas of my life. But I put myself in this position of like, okay, now not only am I forced to have fun and live my life, but I also got to pay off this credit card debt. <laughs> and so what am I going to do? And that was the first time on my way to Bali at the airport was the first time I published my first ever ebook at $4 and 99 cents. And it 
funded my trip to Bali. But I wouldn't have put up that ebook if I didn't just, do you know what I mean? Like it created that like necessity in me. And it's the same thing in investing in yourself um, with any type of growth is you got to kind of like have skin in the game and um, yeah, like give yourself a little ass kicking. I really believe in that. Yeah. Skin in the game is like my favorite phrase. Like when I, when I'm on like calls with people, I'm like, there's just power and skin in the game, but that's the thing that we're like, all right, I put money on the line. Like I put skin in the game. I put money in this. I invested in this. Like, all right. Like I, I spent money on this. Like I'm doing it. Like I put skin in the game. Like there's just something so powerful about putting your money where your mouth is, so to speak. And it just makes it real. You're like, all right, I'm committed. Exactly. Exactly. And you can do that with your time and energy too. Um, Yeah. That's what's so powerful about spending a lot of time on something. Right. I think we still kind of feel that way. We're like, I put time into this. I'm going to make it work. Um, But yeah, something about money and the way it functions in our society is probably the most fast tracked vehicle to that kind of experience. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that was well said. Okay. So let's wrap this up. What are you most excited about in life right now? Mm. Well, boyfriend and I just finished the van. I'm going to go stain some more wood after this. And we're going to do our first little test trip up to Northern Arizona. Um, And my book is coming out in two weeks. So hopefully this spring slash summer season is going to be a combination of road trips in the van and uh, podcast interviews for the book and just trying to get the book out there um, and spreading the gift of self-love. So cliche, (laughs) Um, but the gift of self-love is the name of my book. And yeah, I'm just really excited for it to be in people's homes. That's the part that I can't wrap my mind around. That's how I felt starting the podcast. I don't know if you feel this way, but something about when people are like, I listen to your podcast while going on a walk. I'm like, that's like, I literally took a walk with you. Like that, that was cool. I'm like, I'm in people's ears and now I'm in people's homes. Like not creepy, but it's cool. (laughs) Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. I always like, I always have such a, like an out of body experience kind of when I'll have a discovery call with a potential client and they're like, I listened to your podcast. Like I listened to your voice. It's weird to like be on a phone call with you. And I think maybe why that's so out of body is because like, I'll feel that way too. Like when I interview people for the podcast, I'm like, do you know many times I've just like listened to you speak and you've had no idea I've existed and like, you've been such a big part of my life. And so I can kind of like, so yeah, yeah. I get what you're saying. Like it's, yeah. it's a, it's a unique experience that for anyone who desires that I would want it for them, you know, cause it's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. Yeah. And I do it with the same with other people. Like some of my friends that my boyfriend's like, Oh, how's so-and-so doing. And he like refers to them by their Instagram name. <laughs> Oh yeah. I, so yeah. And my therapist, like I have conversations with her in my head all the time, all the time. She just lives in my head. Like it's, <laughs> you could like hear what she'd be saying to you right now. Like, you yeah, know exactly. Saying. It's yeah. the epitome of, I guess it's like self-coaching almost. Um, so yeah, I really hope that the book also contributes to creating that. Maybe you got to do an audio, an audible. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how it would work, but. Yeah, I'm working on that. But the major kink to work out is because it's a workbook. It's a workbook, yeah. Like how to do those exercises. But it's definitely on the forefront of my mind. Yeah. Cool. cool. Yeah. So if anyone wants to learn more about you um, and connect with you, buy your book, where should they go? 
Um, the book is at maryscupoftea.com slash book. And um, I mainly hang out on Instagram at Mary's Cup of Tea. Uh, I am on TikTok, although I consume more on TikTok than create, but I freaking love watching videos on there. It's my little guilty pleasure. I know it's so controversial, but I love TikTok. Um, but yeah, so those are kind of the only things. I have some videos on YouTube. They're old, but if you're in especially early stages of recovery, they may help you. And my podcast is also called the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast. So yeah, that's where I am. Thank you so much, Mary. This has been such a pleasure to chat with you. You are absolutely a bright light and very self-aware, might I add. Very oh, wise. Thank you, Kara. Thank you. It was great. Thank you so much for listening to the Love Your Bod Pod today and spending some of your time with me and Mary. I hope you got a lot of value out of this episode. If you did, share it with a friend, share it in your Instagram stories, or shoot me a DM and let me know. I always love hearing from you guys. I hope you have a really beautiful day. I love you so much.